Speech Pathology Australia acknowledged the traditional custodians of the lands, seas and waters throughout Australia and pay respect to Elders past, present and future. We recognise that the health and social and emotional well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples are grounded in continued connection to culture, country, language and community and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week we showcase a conversation with inspiring and influential people who are advancing practice in one of the many and varied areas of speech pathology. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Everyone, it's Annika. Thanks so much for taking the time to tune into this week's episode of Speak Up. Foster care is the backbone of the child protection system. In Australia, there are approximately 9,000 foster carers caring for a growing number of children with a history of neglect and or abuse, children exposed to family violence and children whose parents are unsafe in some way. These are kids who have experienced unimaginable life challenges. We know from numerous studies in the broader education and health space, as well as in the speech pathology space, such as those involving Professor Pam Snow and Dr. Nicole Byrne, that many children in out-of-home care experience significant impairments in oral language and literacy. So it is no surprise to us speeches that foster carers are caring for many children with significant oral language challenges. So what do foster carers know about the oral language development of children and are they adequately equipped to support this aspect of development? I am so pleased to be chatting to Dr Lydia Timms today. Lydia is a speech pathologist, lecturer and researcher at Curtin University in Perth and has a long-standing passion for working with vulnerable people and communities. Along with colleagues Dr Mary Clayson and recent graduates Tess Prendergast, Lara Vanderwalt, Hannah Nizich and Isabella Schulio, and in collaboration with Wansley Family Services, Lydia developed the Language Together online training tool for foster carers, and this is what we get to explore today. Thank you so very much for joining me, Lydia. Thank you. Lovely to be here and to chat about this project. Well, it is such an interesting tool and project, and I was really um, privileged to hear you chatting about it at the conference, so I'm so excited to now get to explore it in a bit more detail with you. Mm. Um, To start, um, I'd really love to know how the project initially came about. Yeah, sure. We have a really cool group at Curtin University called the Social Policy Research Group, Um, And there's uh, social workers, occupational therapists, speech pathologists and the odd physiotherapist as well who work alongside each other in the, the research space. And we've just got a passion for the particular populations that are underserviced by our allied health uh, team and uh, we're trying to increase the research in that space and increase the capacity of our graduates as well. So this was started as part of that group and there's a social worker, Donna Chung, who um, has decades of research and collaboration within the out-of-home care space in Western Australia and so she had an established relationship with Wansley um, and they reached out and said, we just know that speech is a big need in our children but we don't know what to do about it. Um, What do you suggest? And, And so Donna came to Mary and myself and said, what's the next steps? Uh, And we um, yeah, set up two groups of honour students, so a pair in 2020 and another pair in 2021, 
um, to get this project happening. So we're, we're very lucky to have worked with Wansley and um, these groups of speech students. Wonderful. So Wansley, just um, I guess for people that don't live in WA, can you just tell us about that service? I believe it's a, a family support service, is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a not-for-profit here in Western Australia. They do have a number of different um, aspects to their work, but a big part of their work is a, a contract with our Department of Communities where they recruit upskill and, and uh, support foster carers um, for children in out-of-home care. And so that's the kind of the branch of the Wansley Services Limited that we were engaging um, with, but they offer other services in playgroups, in supports, mm. in kind of disability service, um, and they do employ a couple of speeches um, oh, that's and that's good. looking to increase, but um, those speeches haven't often worked as you know, targeting individual kids and families. And so that's an area that needs a bit of work over here in WA. Oh, sounds amazing. So I guess to sort of kind of start at the start a little bit, Mm. um, and I'm sure this was part of the early stages of your project, what do we actually know about foster carers and their understanding of children's language development? Yeah, look, we we know that there's a real diversity in foster carers. So, I mean, organisations like Wansley are always recruiting for more foster carers and so um, they're able to take uh, you know, young uh, couples that have kids of their own, older couples, they have kinship carers, so they're the family members, the grandparents, the aunties, uncles of the children in care when, they're, when their parents aren't able to continue the care. Um, so there's heaps of diversity. And we also found that in our study um, where we had uh, carers who were highly educated, so we had a good handful that had completed university or postgraduate degree, um, and then other carers that have not um, completed high school and have continued on in life in different career pathways and different ways of supporting uh, community. And so it's a tricky one to answer because mm. I think they all know different. <laughs> yeah, it's a very diverse group of people. Absolutely, yeah. And some of them, edu- you know, early educators themselves, um, you know, mm. they work as teachers, etc. Some have a whole heap of children of their own, so they have a good sense of typical development before they take on foster children. Um, but some are completely new to it. So I think Mm. we found that uh, foster carers as a population are in it because they're passionate about child development, they're passionate about supporting these kids who are in a vulnerable situation, Um, but there's a good number of them that don't know about typical language development, Um, and that's, I suppose, where this came into play, Mm. you know, that caregivers want to know what's normal Yeah. How do I know when to be worried? And then what can I do about it while I'm waiting for a service? And so that's what that initial kickstart of this project um, Mm. was looking to address. And then Language Together was born out of all of this. Um, And I believe that it's an online tool um, that you put together and it has five modules as part of the tool. Um, Now, my understanding is that the first three modules of the five were considered foundational modules. I'm just Mm. wondering um, if you could just kind of chat through what those foundational modules happen to be. Yeah, for sure. I'm just going to pick up on you said it's online and I, um, you know, that was a real dilemma 
for us because there's obviously literature that supports online learning and then there's literature that supports the engagement of face-to-face learning. But there's actually been a couple of studies specifically around foster carers and and kind of parent carer-led um, support in speech pathology and there was one in Western Australia by a previous honours uh, student in Curtin who said that because of travel time, competing time demands, lack of childcare and other barriers around the busyness of foster carers that online was the preference um, and so that's why we've kind of went down this pathway. Did and COVID then, have part of it as well? I was, I was going to say 2020 and 2021 I feel like COVID might have had some impact Absolutely. too. Do you know what we've already <laughs> made the decision yeah. sort of towards the end of 2019 early 2020 so it was amazing for us and the, mm. and the students in that we'd kind of already started and didn't need to make any major adjustments. Wow, that um, was good foresight. <laughs> we <were kind> of glad <laughs> yeah. about that. But, yes, you know, COVID did have an impact on our audience. So mm. we had initially tried to recruit um, foster carers for a trial of the first three modules. So those modules are around... Um, what are the typical milestones for children from zero to five years of age? Um, what are some of the red flags that parents and caregivers could be looking out for across language development? And then what are some uh, really practical and, and easy to integrate strategies that caregivers can implement in their daily routine? Um, nothing to do with trauma and abuse, nothing to do with neglect or maltreatment, nothing to do with cultural and linguistic diversity, more just really laying the foundations um, for these caregivers who are fresh to supporting young children. Um, But because of COVID, excuse me, and our recruitment strategies, we weren't able to uh, get the numbers in 2020. And so that's why we broadened it to uh, caregivers in general. So we got a bigger cohort of of mums and dads to trial it as a pilot and give us feedback on that, which was very positive. Um, and then kind of our second iteration was integrating that feedback to update the first three modules and then develop modules four and five that specifically targeted the needs of the foster carers um, here through Wansley. Mm. And we'll come to uh, modules four and five in a second. Can you talk through a little bit more about what each module consists of? How long does a module go for? Um, Does it consist of videos? I don't know, a speech pathologist talking. I'm not sure. What does it sort of look like? All of the above. Okay. (laughs) All of the above, yeah. The students, so that's Isabella and Hannah in the first uh, honours project who spent quite a lot of time researching the acceptability of an online training course for parents and and the, the pedagogy of education in online says multimedia, addressing different learning styles, et cetera. So each of the modules had a core talking PowerPoint, um, which was sort of between five to ten minutes of uh, content, and then that linked to a few different um, resources. So each module had a downloadable resource. So, for example, there was a checklist for um, developmental milestones. There was um, some ideas for different strategies and topics and and ways to implement that. Um, And then there were some... um, like click boxes where they could hover over 
different red flags that they'd be noticing in their children and get more information about that. They were linked to a number of different YouTube videos and they um, also had their own podcast on the website where they interviewed a few parents of children who had um, identified some red flags, etc., and sharing their own experience. So there was something for parents to hold on to and, and connect with, um, given that the two students presenting weren't parents themselves, but they were very soon to be graduate uh, speech pathologists. So multimedia, mm. at the core of it was a talking PowerPoint. It was based on a Wix website, um, which was quite easy to, to manipulate. And those two students did such a fabulous job. It looked really professional and colourful. And um, part of that initial project was getting feedback from those carers around, you know, how easy it was to navigate through um, all those aspects. And, and we made some tweaks based on that feedback in, in light of um, the next group coming through. So how long does each module take to complete, Lydia? Yeah, so there's uh, three modules in the initial stage and they took about 30 minutes. Uh, Mm -hmm. By the time they engaged in the PowerPoint and the different resources, there was the option for them to click on some more videos and downloadable resources if they wanted to. Uh, And it was self-paced so they could check in and check out as they had time available and they were given up to two months to get through those three modules and we provided them some prompts to to stay on track with that. Mm, Sounds amazing and that on-demand way of presenting I could imagine for foster carers would be very appreciated in that Mm. they can just pace through it themselves which sounds great. Yes. Uh, So if we move on then to module four um, and module four I believe was specific to Aboriginal children Uh, What do we actually know, Lydia, about Aboriginal children in out-of-home care? Yeah, well, I mean, sadly, we know that they're well and truly overrepresented in out-of-home care. So uh, in Western Australia, over half of the children in out-of-home care are um, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander, which is obviously a lot more than the the broader proportion of, of children within Western Australia. Um, and in Australia, that's um, consistent across the board as well. So Aboriginal children are eight times more likely to be in care than their non-Aboriginal peers. Um, and we also know that there's a few aspects in the way that uh, Aboriginal children are raised. So their connection to language and culture is really important to mm-hmm. their well-being and their development. Um, but about 37%, uh, according to yeah, um, the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare in 2020, uh, 20, uh, 37% of Aboriginal children in care are placed with non-Aboriginal carers. Mm. So others are placed with kinship carers, so their grandparents, their family members, etc. but many are placed with non-Aboriginal carers. And um, so there's a real piece there around supporting foster carers who aren't Aboriginal and don't have the same cultural background or language um, mm. input to support the language and cultural development of these kids as well as their own well-being and, and development. So mm. you know, there's a there's a really important piece in there about collaborating with uh, Aboriginal people, um, foster foster carers and those kids in making sure that this system is, is set up to support them. Um, and the module that we developed around uh, Aboriginal language had a real focus on maintaining language exposure and cultural connection while in care, given that they weren't getting that 
um, from their their biological parents or broader family. Mm, How interesting. So I'm assuming it was structured in a similar way to the first three modules in terms of being on demand and multimedia, et cetera, et cetera. But it sounds like um, a lot of research would have gone into what was actually included in that module, I could imagine. Yes, research and also consultation. So the Mm. students uh, and Mary and myself met with uh, a group of the Wansley Care team a couple of times in the lead up to the development of this and worked directly with the Wansley cultural practice lead who is an Aboriginal woman, a Noongar woman herself, and uh, they provided some advice on what the needs were of these particular families and what some of the dynamics were between non-Aboriginal carers and the children in their care. Uh, And then we engaged a translator as well, a translation service specifically in the Noongar language um, to be able to develop some resources that supported non-Aboriginal carers to introduce and integrate Noongar language into the strategies that they um, use to, to foster language development in this space. Oh, that sounds great. All right. So then module five was specific to children who have experienced abuse and neglect. Um, What do we know about those children in out-of-home care? Yeah, for sure. So children who come into um, out-of-home care are there because they have come from an unsafe environment. In some cases, that's that their parents are um, not managing Uh, their care appropriately and so they're withdrawn from their care but in most cases it's because the children have either either been witness to seen some kind of um, abuse or have experienced abuse and neglect themselves and so the literature kind of labels that maltreatment more broadly Um, and so where we've got some research in out-of-home care we've got more we've got broader research in in maltreatment and there's significant impacts of maltreatment and trauma on neurological developments, um, the networks early on in life. Um, we know that that impacts on various aspects of language, so oral language, being able to produce you know, coherent narratives, um, increases in vocabulary, um, literacy, social and emotional development. So there's quite a lot of literature um, identifying some big gaps in the, the language and speech development of these children, specifically because of the trauma that they've experienced. Um, and then there's another aspect around neglect. And so children who have come from um, a, an environment that's not safe or an environment of neglect, I mean, just logically, they haven't had the same communication and language input than um, children who have been raised in a a more supportive environment. Mm. As we know, a speech is Mm -hmm. absolutely development. Yeah, Yeah, Mm. for sure. All right, so they were the five modules that you guys put a lot of work into. So I'd really love to touch on the implementation of of your project now, if that's okay. So I know you've already touched on having a few challenges in regards to recruiting participants. How did you end up going with that? How many um, participants were you able to recruit in the end? Yes, we got 10. (laughs) So it's not a huge group. Um, We did push really hard. We worked uh, closely with Wansley. The the support staff were identifying families, but I just really think it comes down to um, this population being an (laughs) overcommitted group that are, you know, have lots of 
um, life going on, including the foster kids in their care. So we didn't end up with the numbers that we had quite hoped, but we do have 10. Um, nine of these were uh, foster mums and one foster dad in that mix. And we had a really nice mix of age groups as well. So we had a couple of um, kinship care grandparents in their uh, 60s, uh, a good number right in the middle, that 40 to 60, and we had one younger carer down in their 20s. Um, so a good mix of age, good mix of education uh, across there from some high school but not completed high school all the way up to, to three that had completed a postgraduate degree. And most of them had been a carer um, in the foster care system up till eight years and one of them had been a carer for eight or more years. Mm-hmm. Um, and most of them were in long-term care, but there were two that had were only involved in respite care, so seeing children for short periods of time. Okay, excellent. So how did they find it? What did, what was their feedback yeah. on completing the on completing the tool? Yeah. Look, they what I didn't like about this project is that I never got to meet them. <laughs> That's <laughs> the problem with with being oh, online. It's all yeah. I mean, you know, it's all anonymous, it's all engaged engage at their own time, which worked very well and was received positively, but I didn't then get to go and have the chats with them um, and would love to have gathered that qualitative information from these caregivers but certainly the numbers on the page from our pre and post surveys were positive in the pre and post they completed a um, survey where they reported on their own perception of their knowledge in these different areas as well as their confidence implementing strategies in these two areas Um, And then we had quizzes for them to test their actual knowledge um, before and after engaging in the training. We didn't go on to ask them about acceptability, etc., because we had consolidated that in the first study and then we just felt like there were too many questions in the survey uh, already. But they were, you know, uh, there were really positive findings for their perception of knowledge. Mm Mm-hmm. So that significantly increased for both the way um, Aboriginal children use language and the way that children who have been impacted by trauma use language um, and their uh, own confidence in implementing this strategy, so culturally secure strategies for Aboriginal children in their care and strategies that support the development of um, language in a, in a space of trauma um, and a history of trauma significantly improved. Mm, that's fantastic. Um, the interesting thing was that we had quizzes and um, as we know, multiple choice quizzes can be guessed and fudged. <laughs> and so pre-training, uh, participants were getting kind of 70, 80, 90% already. And so we were kind of hitting ceiling before and so didn't see uh, it increased, but that wasn't a significant increase in their actual knowledge. So we mm. need to on our um, quiz questions. And, but it and could have been of a bit of Google searching to answer some of those questions exactly. to start yes. with perhaps. <laughs> they might have done a bit of Googling. To yeah. Look. But it sounds like perception-wise it was very, very positive, um, which is fantastic yeah. because um, 
it's about accessibility, isn't it? And yes. they're sort of saying it was accessible and useful, which is yeah. great, right? <laughs> and the term that we thought about when we looked at those numbers was empowered. So we don't we don't really know, but we know that they've done this training and they feel better about the way that they're going to support these kids. And I mean, that's what we want is we want an empowered bunch of carers who um, are looking to looking for the signs in these kids to make sure that they're tracking well and feel really comfortable and confident to be able to implement some strategies that are going to you know, set them up for success. Mm. Mm. And so where's the project at at the moment, Lydia? Yeah, look, we uh, have published one paper in the JCP SLP, which was around the um, implementation of the first three modules and so people can go and have a look at that if they like that talks about the acceptability of it um, and the improvements of the population of caregivers more broadly and we're in the process of um, working on a publication that looks at modules four and five more specifically we yeah had a really big reflection on how we worked um, with Wansley. Wansley was so positive they they we're really supportive in the development of it. And I just think there's barriers for this population in how to engage in training. Um, it did contribute to points. So the foster carers do have to accrue a, fit, a certain oh, number right. of points and hours, um, you know, to continue being upskilled. And so it did contribute to their points. But I do wonder whether speech pathology is um, you know, the priority in these families mm. when they could be choosing other trauma-informed care or a whole range of other things yeah yeah um so we've put a bit of a pause on the actual training website while we reassess a little bit of that and get um some awareness out there but i'm pretty keen to expand it look at a broader population of foster carers there's many organizations across australia that um have carers in their support so we could broaden it uh from there and then i'd really like to see how we could extend the online training to something a bit more practical. So, you know, working with foster carers to practice and get feedback on the way that they engage with language and development, um, which as speech pathologists, we just see the importance of families working together day mm. to day with their kids. Um, and, and that would be an extension of this project. But again, would be challenging because we need we need them to commit to a certain amount of time um, and we need to figure out how to make that work um, for mm-hmm. these caregivers. It's not a burden, but it adds value to the service that they're providing to these children. Mm, absolutely. So if people are interested, I, because obviously your project was um, in WA, I'm sure yeah. that other people listening today from other states uh, that perhaps work with children in out-of-home care or work with foster carers might be really keen to touch base with you about this. How could they find out some more information? Yeah, for sure. Are you welcome to read the JCP SLP paper? <laughs> well, I, I will put a, a link in the show notes to yeah, that so people you. can just click and access that. No problem. <laughs> and I'm also happy to to receive emails to l.tims at curtain.edu.au. And I suppose this doesn't have to be only out of home care. So because it's um, got modules about typical language development, strategies for supporting language development, um, the trauma-informed uh, care and uh, language development in Aboriginal kids, that's sort of broader than the out-of-home care 
space and, and my other research is in um, children who are engaging with the justice system and so there's some overlaps there and, and there's various um, works around like wait lists. So when families are waiting to get access speech pathology, what can they be doing in the mm-hmm. meantime? I think this kind of resource or training could add value there. Absolutely. So, yeah. So reach out everybody. <laughs> this is yeah. really valuable and people have put some amazing work into putting it together. It'd be great to see that it was something that could be more broadly accessed by people. Definitely. Mm. Mm. Um, okay. Thank you so, so much, Lydia. That's just been absolutely fascinating and congratulations to you and your team. I know there was, um, it was beyond you and there was some obviously very, very talented honours students that um, had had input into this project too. So congratulations to you all on such a fantastic project. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks to the students who are now new grad speechies and and fully equipped with this knowledge and and development of online training resources too. Absolutely. And also a massive shout out to anyone listening who happens to be a foster carer. I actually know a few speech pathologists that are also foster carers and uh, I just think you are incredible if that is you. Um, It's just an amazing role to take on. Um, And thanks as always for tuning in. We will be back again next Wednesday with our final episode of the year. Have a great week ahead. Thanks again, Lydia. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast where all good podcasts are found and make sure you share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for tuning in and bye for now.